from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. It's killer. It's just a killer day today. A great day, great day. And we've got another great episode in store for you. Welcome to the Badass Counseling Show. Whether you are tuning in from Janesville, Wisconsin, or Lake Geneva, Switzerland, whether you are in Galway or Gettysburg, PA, it's great to have you here. And just a little shout out to Nick cleaning his garage and Jason up in Quebec. It's good to have you here. Today, we have an episode where I'm counseling a woman who's afraid to let go of her trauma. Afraid to let go of her trauma. And so stay for that. Uh, We'll be starting in about two seconds. But first, I want to say hello to KC over in the booth. She gives me the nod. And Rob the Rocket, what's the good word today, Rob? You have reminded me I need to clean my garage. So let's get to it. (laughs) So you can do something with the rest of your day and feel productive. Yes. Well, I'm going to hand it back to you. Tell us about Britt, Rob. I would be happy to, Sven. Britt wrote into us and she said, my name is Britt. I'm 30 years old. And from the moment I was born, I was greeted with trauma. From parents who told me I was a mistake, to being beaten by my father so bad he went to prison, to a mom who refused to be a mom and protect me, to being raped and my (coughs) attempted suicides, I've never twirled. I've been in therapy for three years and I've read There's a Hole in My Love Cup, which has helped my soul 85%. But I still feel trapped under the weight of it all. While journaling, I recently had this moment where something inside me said, I'm too scared to finally let go of my trauma. I think that may be true because what kind of substance will I have without it? What happens to the story of my life if I let go and eradicate the trauma from my book? Where do I go from here? I need guidance, please. You got it. Brittany, it's good to have you here today. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Spin? Lovely. Thanks for being on the show. We appreciate your willingness to Tell us your story, and what a fucking story. Holy cow, beaten by my father so bad he went to prison, told that you were a mistake, mom refused to be a mom and protect me, to being raped, and then your attempted suicides. I'm going to ask you a fucked up question, but just out of curiosity, for you personally, of all of those things, and plus whatever else that has happened to you in your life, which for you is the worst? Honestly, at this point in my life, it would have to be my mom not protecting me and not doing her due diligence as a parent. And if she had done her due diligence, what is the single biggest thing that would have been averted or never happened? I wouldn't have been beaten by my father. I wouldn't have been left abandoned. Um, I, I think a lot of the events in my life that had happened to me wouldn't have happened. Tell me, Britt, I think I hear your voice cracking a bit. Are you... Is the sadness coming right up? Yes. Okay, so you can feel it. Even just talking about it just in the first couple of minutes with me, you can feel it. It's right there. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. And uh, I, I want to say, first of all, Britt, I'm so sorry for all that you've been through. No child, no person, no anyone should ever have to go through any of that, let alone all of that. So the hardest part for you is your mom not protecting you what is the single biggest thing that your mom should have done? She should have taken us. She should have been a mother. She should have stepped up and she should have protected us from our dad and 
um, just been the mom on it. Like I, I'm a mom to two boys and I could n- never imagine allowing my children to go through what I have gone through without doing anything about it. Yeah. That's, it's just, it's horrible to even imagine. Um, and I'm glad to hear that you have broken the curse in that, the generational curse in that regard, that you do have different standards, that you do have standards at all. Um, and so she should have gotten us out of there, protected us. Um, and you're the part that hurts the most is her not protecting you. What, what did she do instead? If she wasn't protecting you, what was she doing instead? Well, she was a young mom. I'm the firstborn of three, and she was just turned 18 whenever she had me. Um, excuse me. Um, it's okay. What are, you, what are you feeling right now? Pause. What are you feeling? Give me a feeling word. Mad, sad, bad, glad, frustrated, elated, overjoyed, peace, lethargic. Give me a feeling word. Angry, hurt. Abandoned, pissed off. Angry, hurt, abandoned, pissed off. And if you were to pick the biggest one, what's the biggest thing you feel? Abandoned. Mm. Do you have a relationship with your mom today? No, I do not. Both of my parents, I have cut them off. And when did you do that? Um, The beginning of this year, actually. And what drove you to do that? All the therapy, your book, recognizing that I deserve better. And after so many years of the same pattern and cycle, realizing they're never going to change. Yeah. And or even if they ever did, it would take a massive amount of shift. And that's probably not happening anytime soon. Right. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. And so what you pose, though, and and so let me ask you this. This is going to sound really dumb, but it's an honest question. Okay. I asked you what the real worst thing is, hurts the most, and you said, Mom, not protecting me. And I said, what should she have done, et cetera. What, this is going to sound dumb, but what was the real crime that your father committed against you? What was the biggest crime? I mean, he beat you so badly that he went to prison. So, I mean, that's why it seems like a dumb question. It would seem obvious. Well, it's that. And maybe it is that. But is it something else? Um, I think it was the lack of love in the home. Um, I can't tell you the last time I heard that he loved me or was proud of me or just, it's really the lack of love and acceptance. Mm. Wow. And so just out of curiosity, then, then is it safe to say that if you felt unprotected by your mother, so you felt really not safe most of your life, certainly your childhood, And it's reasonable to assume that would then perdure, uh, continue into adulthood, unsafe, and then uh, never loved on dad's side, and obviously unsafe with him as he beat the hell out of you. Um, That's sort of carried into adulthood. And is it safe to say then that in adulthood you felt unloved and unsafe and potentially have chosen relationships that sort of reflect that? You nailed it on the head. Yes. Um, I went into a relation, a nine-year relationship with an alcoholic who, as you put it, extreme taker. Um, and that is the father of my two children. And it, I definitely did repeat the cycle. Um, 
I divorced him about three years ago, two years ago, and um, I've been on this healing journey ever since because I, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't live in the same, I couldn't live in the same headspace that I had been living in as when I was a child. Good for you. And let me ask you, so is it safe to say that what really, I mean, for you to make a shift like that, to get a divorce, to act for yourself, to protect your kids at least half the time that they would be with you. And I don't know if they were unsafe with him or whatever, or if he was just a dick to you, I don't know. But the point is to make a a change that big required such a shift of consciousness for you. And, And usually with people, that shift of consciousness is only triggered when the pain threshold gets hit, when the pain gets so fucking bad that you say, I don't, I don't even care anymore. I don't care what you think. I don't care what happens next. I have to stop this. I have to get out of here. This has to change. God damn it, I'm changing it. Was it that for you? Was it that the pain finally gave you to the, cur- the courage to do what you had never had courage to do before and the clarity to know what that was? Was that it? The pain drove you to that? Absolutely. Um, the defining moment for me was when I was in my now uh, past relationship with my husband. I was... We had gotten into this really big argument and he was becoming physically aggressive with me and tearing me down verbally. And I found myself on the floor in the bathroom wanting to take my life. Um, And for that, that was my defining moment of I got to get the fuck out of here. I cannot do this anymore. Good for you. Wow. And it, it's horrible that it has to go to that point before we ha- find the courage, but that's what it took. I mean, think about how yeah. ingrained those beliefs were inside you that I don't matter and I just got to eat this shit and, oh gosh, maybe he'll change, all that bullshit. It was so ingrained in you that it took someone you know, doing all those things and you quivering on the floor and wanting to die. It took that extreme extremeness I know that sounds stupid, but you know what I mean. To get you to break through that old consciousness, that's how embedded that shit was. And now, even though it's years later, presumably, um, it's it's coming out of that and and sort of grieving, flushing out all the old crap, as you've heard me say before, flushing it all out. But then it's it's the uh, adjustment. And this is what you came to us for today, this adjustment to, well, what the hell am I if I'm not the story that I've always been? Yes. Right? Okay. And exactly. I, and I want to go there. But before I do that, I want to say this. Uh, the mere fact that you're that we're, we're talking about this and your voice is quivering and you're crying, that says there's still more pain in there. And I'm, I'm not dogging you for that. There's not, you know me. There's nothing wrong with that. that. In fact, that's good. It's good that you're able to access that and that you feel comfortable letting it out because I have plenty of clients who don't feel anything, right? They've so packed it down. So there's more mm-hmm. there, Britt. There's more there. And before we move on to the part about, you know, what am I after my trauma, you need to understand there's still, you're still reacting to the trauma. There's still more in there. So let me ask you then in that vein, what is it, um, if you were to sort of pinpoint it as best you can, what do you think is the thread running through all of the pain and sadness and maybe still bullshit beliefs inside of you that you were taught about yourself? What is still in there in terms of trauma response that has not come out yet? 
I still struggle a lot with worthiness. Am I enough? Um, and just really believing in myself. Worthiness and believing in self. Okay. Um, the thing about that is when I asked that question, you did not answer, um, and there's no right or wrong answer, okay? But what's fascinating is you didn't answer with a feeling. You didn't answer with rage. You didn't answer with sadness or grief or anything else. You answered with a belief, really, a thought. And the thought of worthiness and believing in self, those are thoughts that come with mm -hmm. obviously very powerful emotional charges attached to them, right? Fear, uh, loathing, um, all sorts of stuff, right? And so now we're talking about the world of thoughts. We're talking about the beliefs. What that means is if you still struggle with feelings of, or thoughts of um, worthiness and still struggle with you know, believing in yourself, what that tells me is that the old beliefs are still in you. It's not just the feelings. It's the old beliefs that you're shit. You're no good. You, you don't, you're not worthy of love. Dad, didn't lo Dad doesn't say he loves me because I must be not worthy of love. I must be a bad girl. When you're six years old, when you're 11 years old, everything is filtered through. Everything is filtered through the filter of, am I good or am I bad? <laughs> do I matter? Do I not matter? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so the mere yeah. fact that here we are at 30 and you're still struggling with that says to me that some of those messages are still in there. They are corrupting your own self. Because down deep, absolutely, down deep, your authentic self is there. Your native self, your original self there was the little girl that just embraced the world and twirled and and enjoyed uh, you know life and the grass is green today and look at this frog and you know this beautiful creative smart talented uh, vivacious uh, little girl that you were is still in there and parts of her that have grown up and parts of her that are still there so the mere fact that you're not in that sort of love affair with life that embrace of life it's because those old messages are still in there. And yeah. so let me ask you, what do you think above all else in one sentence or less, if you were to really distill down the single biggest message that is still in you from your childhood, could have been any origin, what is the biggest message about you that is still in you? What's the loop? Either it's in the front of your head or it's in the back of your head or it's just always sitting there. What's the one message about you? That I'm unlovable. I'm unlovable. And in that loop, there's probably another loop that goes with it, the sub loop. There's I'm unlovable. And then what's the sub loop saying for why you're unlovable? Why are you unlovable? I'm unlovable because I'm too much. Too much. Interesting. Is that a message you got when you were a kid? Yes. How were you too much? Too loud, too sassy, too much energy? or too, too much emotion? How were you too much as a kid? I was too emotional. I was too loud. Too emotional and too loud. Gotta be honest, those are some of my favorite people. <laughs> I'm very emotional <laughs> and I love guys that are emotional and show their shit. I love women that my girlfriend, she'll cry if she sees a dead butterfly there on the sidewalk she'll like start she'll have to stop we'll have to have like our own little mini funeral and 
God damn it, I love that about her, right? And uh, and but she's intense. This Bronx Italian from the '60s and '70s, and you know, as a teenager, was going to Studio Fifty Four, and just this fiery woman. I love emotion, especially when it's someone who can also you know calm the fuck down and be rational and shit like that. But and loud people. I mean, I think you probably know I'm pretty loud. Um, so I get it. And isn't it fascinating though the messaging that we get? I grew up in this quiet little. Swedish family, six kids, Swedish American, and but six kids. So there's naturally going to be a lot of loud, five brothers. And my sister was probably almost the loudest of all, though I think everyone would agree it was me. But there was always noise. But even for us Swedes, you know, it's uh, loud, you know. So, but my parents allowed it to a large degree. Mom would say, okay, take it outside. I'm working on dinner, take it outside. But it was, there wasn't shame for it. And you got shamed for being yes. a kid. You got shamed for yeah. being a kid. And it was so powerful that it, it was embedded in you and you were taught to hate that about you, right? Isn't that what we're saying? Yes. That it clearly yeah. it must be bad because that I'm unlovable because I'm too emotional and too loud. Let me ask you a straight question. If you were to just sort of calm yourself and, and just come from a place of calm for just a minute, do you, do you, Brit, do you, like that you're kind of loud and kind of emotional. Yes, hmm. I actually do. But that hasn't come to me until the past couple of years where I have seen my emotion as a strength rather mm. than a weakness mm. that I've gone through all of these things in life that could have torn me down, could have made me a completely different person, but I, I still can feel like I'm not numb to everything. Mm. I, I can still express my feelings mm. and emotions. And I think that there is something very beautiful in that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that the, the too emotional or showing emotions is, is sort of, quote unquote, an indicator of weakness. You and I both know it's strength as well to feel comfortable enough to do that. But we see that as a soft thing. And it is. It's an opening to our inner softness. And too loud almost implies, you know, the, the strength, the strength to put it out there. So to me, you've got this lovely balance of soft and strong. Each the strong protecting the, the soft, the soft infusing the strong with um, beauty. And uh, to me, it's it's just a lovely mix. I asked you if you like the you're, that you're emotional and that you're loud. What percent, if you were to put a percent on it overall, do you like you? If you were to be totally honest, from a, from a centered place, do you like you? I would say 90%, yes. Uh -huh. Wow, I love that number. Now I'm going to ask you a similar question, but different. Do you love you? Absolutely. So what percent? 99. I love that. All right. That's beautiful. Okay, so then what that tells me is that your authentic self sees the beauty, the value, the wonder, the creativity, the joy in who you are, your authentic self, and it's there and it's accessible. I mean, shoot, if I hear someone even say 60%, that's a victory because I have so many clients who are at 20% lovability or likability or what have you. Um, and so that says you've done a lot of the heavy lifting. To your point, I've done a lot of the growth work, but there's still some residual beliefs in there that 
you know, you're unlovable and not worthy and um, trouble believing in yourself. And it's, it's a matter of just continuing to peck away, to peck away at those negative messages and their origins. And so just out of curiosity, back to this notion then of origins, who was the biggest source of teaching you above all else that you are unlovable? It would have been both of my parents. And if you had my mom and my dad put a percentage on which one and you can't choose 50 50, what percent did mom create it? What percent did dad create your feelings of unlovability? I would honestly have to kind of break it up into two parts, like childhood wise. Mm -hmm. I would have told you my dad was responsible for a hundred percent of it. As I'm older, I'm realizing that it's more mother is 75% and dad is 25%. Mm. Well, and also, I mean, if you consider as a child that the child, it, it makes you wonder at what age in childhood the child is registering that I'm not being protected, that mom's not, I'm not feeling loved by mom. She's not shielding me or she's not getting us out of here or what have you. And so it almost, you almost wonder if you saw I wonder at what age in childhood you actually began to see her culpability in the fact that you were unsafe and did feel unloved and so forth. That's a separate question. I want to come back to this whole equation though, Britt. Um, we're going to take a brief commercial break, but before we do, I want to uh, let my audience know that we have uh, upcoming shows. Um, we are coming up on a uh, month of domestic violence and we're going to be doing a show or two on that. If you would like to be on the show to talk with me uh, about your experience. And if you have, but if you're still struggling with pain uh, over domestic violence, please write in if you'd like to be on the show to be counseled by me. You can write to our producers at production at badasscounseling.com. Again, that is production at badasscounseling.com. More to come, but right now let's take a quick break. I'll be right back. You've heard Sven talk a lot about his book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. And that's because Sven hears from his followers a lot about how much the book has helped them. If you're not sure how to handle the issues getting in the way of a better life, you're not alone. And you have a lot of choices. But thousands of readers will tell you that this is a great place to start, by yourself and at your own pace. So go to badasscounseling.com and order There's a Hole in My Love Cup, and you'll have Sven right there with you as you forge your best future. It's totally badass. So get started today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. We are back with Brit, and we're discussing her feelings of unlovability, uh, the sort of residue from her past and Yet the wonderful part is that she does like herself 90% and loves herself 99%, yet she still struggles with some of those uh, residual voices of being unlovable. Um, And then more specifically, Britt, where did you uh, get the message? What percent did you get the message, you're too emotional and too loud? What percent did you get it from mom? What percent did you get it from dad? I would say 75% dad, 25% mom. Fair. On this thing then, what you originally presented to us, uh, my producers told me that we're doing a show, Sven, on uh, you know how do I get past trauma, but specifically, how do I let go of it? 
And you said, uh, I recently had the moment where something inside me said, I'm too scared to finally let go of my trauma. I think that may be true because what kind of substance will I have without it? What happens to, and you put in quotes, the story of my life, if I let go and eradicate the trauma from my book, where do I go from here? Um, And so let me ask you, what really are we talking about when you say this idea of letting go of your trauma? What above all else are you most afraid to let go of in one sentence or less? I'm most afraid to let go of not having a story to connect with, like to connect to people with. Um, A lot of my childhood does involve a lot of trauma and negative experiences. And if I don't talk about those things or um, bring them like conversations, bringing them up in conversations or just connecting with other people, I, I don't have much left. Um, I, I would say most of my book is the bad and the trauma. And quite honestly, Sven, I'm just really tired of saying it over and over again and getting the looks of, oh my God, I am so sorry you went through that. The pity look, God, I am so tired of the pity and you've been through so much. And I just, and what, and and so, okay, let's, let's just pause there. What is it about someone? Because I'm sure from, at least with some of those people giving you the pity or the empathy, or I'm sure for at least some of them, it's genuine. They genuinely feel bad for you. They genuinely give a shit. They're genuinely wanting to give you a little bit of love. At least some of them, I'm sure with, maybe there are some who think, oh, you know, who are doing it negatively, but I I tend to believe people are generally good. And so, and so yeah. what is it then about people giving you love when they hear you're hurting or that you have had a bad past? What is it about that that is so sort of exhausting or sickening over time? knowing that it's coming from a good place from them. What is it that you don't like about that? Help me understand. I think what it is, is I've, I don't want to say played victim. I, because I was the victim to the trauma and experiences, Yeah. but the, just the victim mentality, like I'm tired of these stories and me being the victim. Okay, I, I, I want to. I do want. I do want you. I do want to pause you there. You use the phrase "victim mentality," and that's one that gets bumped around in our, uh, especially in the U.S., a lot. And people are put down. Oh, you got to get over it. Hey, victim mentality. Blah blah blah. And I fucking hate that shit. It's just like, dude, there are a lot of people who have a lot of pain. And I mean, if, if they're using it to leverage people, which I don't hear you say you are doing or using it to elicit sympathy, you know, and we've all, you know, we've all been done shit. We, I'm sure I have done that in my life at times. All right. Say, you know, sort of milk my sympathy, right. It's human, right. We've all done it, but, but there's something for, to be said for, if I was a victim that that pain's going to hold you for a long time. And the more of a victim you were, the worse the shit that was done to you, it's going to have a grip on you for a long time. So I'm glad you brought that phrase up. Um, and I appreciate you doing that. So uh, that sort of little commercial about victim mentality is now done. So then back to you. And so the thing about it that became most exhausting for you or just that made you sick of sort of getting all of that, um, what was, 
What really did it boil down to? All the pity, as you call it, or people showing love. What was it that you finally got sick of? Hearing my own story. Why? Why did you get sick of hearing your own story? To me, it was almost like I've hit a wall of, I've re- I've repeated it so many times. I've, and a part of me still relives it every single time I tell it. I've I'm just, I'm done. I want to move on. I want to let it go. I'm. And why do you think you haven't, why do you think you haven't either let it go or been able to let it go? Why do you think that is? What do you think it really boils down to, Britt? I mean, it's like we, we've seen today that not all the pain is out. There's still some there, right? And there's yes. still some insecurities. Okay, but why do you think you haven't let it all go? I mean, if you're so sick of it, why? Is it because you haven't wanted to or you haven't been able to or some mix of both? What? I think it's because that's all I've ever known, and I don't know how to live without it. Okay, so that brings us right back to the original question. How do I like, I'm afraid to let go of my trauma. And, and so, and you sort of made the comment, I believe, how do I connect to other people when really my only fucking story is I was raped, I I committed suicide and I, this, and, and my dad beat the shit out of me. And how do I connect with other people? All right. Well, we know one thing for sure is that you're a mom, you're a good mom. You sounds like you enjoy being a mom. So we've got one thing for sure, right? We, we know that um, you can be loud and you like that about yourself. We know that you are emotional and you can be that about yourself. So now we're up to three things. Let me ask you, um, what is the hardest part for you about connecting with other people? Apart from your story, what is the hardest part for you about connecting with other people? I don't think I have a problem connecting with other people. Why? Why don't you have a problem connecting with other people? Because when I hear other people's stories, I... I can empathize with them and I can um, see all the things that they've been through or all the joy that they've experienced. And how do you respond when you see it, when you hear it? How do you respond? I'm right there with them. I'm feeling what they're feeling or um, if they're happy, I'm happy with them and just sharing those Sounds like connecting with other people is, as you said, not a problem for you. So then the problem is what? When the focus attention comes back to you, what am I contributing? What am I saying? Is that the issue then for you? Yeah, yeah. a lot of the times, other than like day-to-day things um, that I discuss with others, um, uh-huh. I'm a lot of the time quiet. Um, is it because I'm afraid to talk because I don't have anything to say or is it because I'm afraid to say anything because maybe they won't like it or what's driving the silence because you said I'm silent which it sounds like that's a decision it's not something that's just happening to you like oh I'm getting punched in the face right now pow it's happening to me it's a choice I'm making in the moment to be silent why are you choosing to be silent what's the fear driving the behavior I don't like the attention on me. Because why don't you like the attention? What do you fear? People judging me. Ah. What is the one thing that uh, someone could say or the one thing that someone could think about you if they were judging you that would hurt the very most? Put it in one sentence or one word. 
What could they think that would hurt the very most? That cause you to be silent so they won't judge me? Because if they judge me and if they said this one sentence or thought this one sentence, it would be like dagger to the heart. What is it? What would hurt the most would be hearing that my life is sad and pathetic and it's there's there's no joy or love in it. Okay. Um, your past largely is sad. It just is. Pathetic is, that's a different flavor though. If I say, wow, you've had a very sad past, that can be very compassionate. But if I say you have a pathetic past, that comes with a bite. That's like a dagger inside of that, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so you fear someone saying your life is so sad, pathetic, and no joy or love. That would hurt the most to hear that. Um, and just out of curiosity, um, who would it hurt the most to hear that from? No one currently, because I cut them all off. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you were to hear that one voice from anyone in your life, living or dead, who would it hurt the most to hear your life is so sad, pathetic, no joy, no love? Who would it hurt the most to hear that from? Or who would be most likely to say it? Uh, most likely to say it would be my father. Okay. And who would it hurt the most to hear it from? My grandma. Because? She's been the one person in my life that has been my little piece of joy. And mm. Um, mm. hearing that come from her mm. would just. And do you think she believes that you've had a, that you're, you've had a pathetic life or something like that? Not pathetic, definitely hard. Hard. And you have. I mean, let's be honest, mm -hmm. any child who has to go through that, any adult who has to go through all that, and you've done it in both childhood and adulthood, yeah, that is hard. It is. It just is. Uh, you wouldn't wish that on anyone, which is precisely why you protect your children from such things, obviously. Yeah. Um, yes. And so, but saying you had a pathetic life is sort of implying you're pathetic. Isn't that what you're really afraid of, someone thinking you're pathetic? Yeah. Right. And the answer to that really is that, first of all, you there's more in there. As we've discussed, there's more in there you, that you have to flush out. M yeah. More of the pain from the past. But there's also fear. Clearly, in this case, you are acting in a certain way in social settings. You're being silent because you are afraid of something. So one of the things that needs to happen is you need to go into that fear, those fears of opening up fears of them judging you, fears of what they might think. And if someone were to think that, then you fear them doing what? Using it against me, using it to hurt me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, let's think about it. You know, you've had a lot of people hurting you in the past, so the idea of opening up is scary. How could I trust? All right, so let me ask you then this question, which do you fear most or which vexes you more? The idea of letting go of your trauma or the fear of opening up and trusting again? Which is scarier? Opening up and trusting. Right. Right. Down. right. It's not just about letting go of the trauma. Because in a way, if it really has been that fucking exhausting and painful, it's a hot potato. You're happy to set it down. Or if not a hot potato, it's been this giant burden. I'm 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 ready to set it down. Fine. I'll I'll yeah. figure out who the fuck I am. I can do that. I'm I just don't want to carry this fucking thing anymore. Right. Afraid of yes. trusting. Afraid of trusting. Afraid then presumably of getting hurt. Yeah. And what is the biggest way you most fear getting hurt? 
opening up to somebody and them rejecting me. What are you feeling right now? I heard the sniffles. What are you feeling right now? Where did that come from? You weren't sniffling three minutes ago. What is it that I said that you that triggered something in you? I said, what are you most afraid of happening? Why? What did you start feeling? What came up? Scared. Scared. Scared of what? Finish it now. What are you afraid of? Be honest. That if I if I open up to people and really show my authentic self that they won't accept me and they won't love me. That's right. That's right. And you have just hit the universal human experience. Every single person. Me, Rob, Casey, you, Britt, every single guest, every single friend I have, every single past lover, every single family member, my parents, every single person has that exact same fear that if I show you who I really am, you may not love me. You may reject me. You may not want me. And I've really, I have news for you, Britt. There are going to be plenty of people who you're just not their cup of tea. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. They may not even think you're a bad person. I have plenty of people I'm not friends with anymore, not because they're bad. They just fell out of touch or, you know, we you know, went our separate ways. Not necessarily even with any animus. It's just that happens. There are going to be people that, you know, you're not their cup of tea or they're not your cup of tea. And that's part of life. Let me ask you yeah. this. What if someone, and they weren't mean about it. They weren't mean about it. But if you opened up and, um, you know, someone didn't want to get closer and they weren't mean about it. Okay. They weren't hurtful about it, but they just, you know, not my cup of tea. I mean, have you ever, have you ever been on a date with someone and you're sitting across the table and it's, they're really nice and, you know, reasonably handsome or whatever. And, uh, but you, there's just no chemistry. Good person. Just don't have the chemistry. Have you ever had that experience? Yes. Of course. So it's not that they're, that Steve or Tom or Susie or Paula is a bad person. It's just, I don't feel the click. You're going to have a million of those in your lifetime. You're 30. You have no idea how much life is still ahead of you. Casey's over there. Asleep. And I know because, you know, our, our staff, we've talked about this before on one of our million conversations, but she's like, oh my God, I'd kill to be 30. She'd really kill to be 40. She loved <laughs> 40s, whatever. But um, you have no idea how young you are. And you're going to meet a million people that you just don't click with or who don't click with you. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Just, chemistry is not there, whether as a friendship or as a lover or as a coworker or boss, subordinate, whatever. Um, and we've already seen what you have the courage to do when someone doesn't fit for you or when they're hurtful towards you, you shut that door and that's great. Um, and so, yeah, opening up, whether in conversation and beginning to talk a bit, opening up and trusting a little bit and a little bit more with someone comes with the awareness that they may not like me. But we're, the, the, the difference between doing it anyway, opening up anyway, versus staying shut down, the difference is this. Let me ask you a question, Britt. If uh, you met a person, let's just say a potential new friend, just a friend, right? I'll, I'll, I'll just say a woman or a non-binary. We won't even bring, because you, you've indicated that you've been with men, so we'll leave the man aspect out of it because that brings a romantic thing, although maybe you like women too, I don't know. But let's just say a, a woman friend or a non-binary friend and a potential friend. And, uh, you know, you guys open up, you have some good times, you know, go bowling or, you, you know, go to a, you know, rock concert, whatever. 
And uh, and then after a couple times, and again, there's no mean spiritedness to each other, but um, she just sort of moves on. And she's not rude about it. She's not mean about it, but she just sort of moves on. You guys sort of part ways, which clearly for any person, it's like, oh, this person doesn't want to be my friend anymore. And that hurts. Even me at 56, somebody doesn't want to be my friend, that hurts. You know, if I want to be their friend, I get it. But let me ask you this. Will you be okay? Yes. Yes, I will be okay. That's the difference. That's the yeah. difference right there between going after what you want in life versus knowing what I want, but gosh, I'm afraid. So I'm going to go tick, 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 tick. And I'm going to go this direction, about 40 degrees in a different direction because it's not as scary. Or going tick, 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 and going 180 degrees, the exact opposite direction because the direction I'm going to want to go with my life, with my relationships or with my career or whatever it might be or where I want to live, so scary. And all the derivatives of it, even the things that are sort of close to it, are so scary that I'm going to go the opposite direction. The difference between going in the direction of what you want, connecting with people and opening up bit by bit, not all at once, just bit by bit, and not doing that is knowing I'll be okay. That even if the, you know, even if someone rejects me, I'll be okay. I had a client just uh, last year, successful woman, uh, very successful, and uh, doctor and had her own practice and so forth. And uh, she said, after working together for a few months, she said, Sven, it's so interesting with, uh, you know, the other doctors that I work with and, and so forth and the nursing staff and with my family and so forth. And she doesn't have children, but she, you know, with her family and so forth. Um, and she's young, about your age. And she said, Sven, I'm more vulnerable, but I feel less vulnerable. Isn't that interesting? That in other words, I'm opening up more and I'm doing it easily, but I don't feel as vulnerable as when I used to stay closed down and not open up. I'm more vulnerable, but I feel less vulnerable. And all this work that you've been doing, Britt, has been moving you in that direction. And you're you're so close, Britt. The fact that you can tell me you love yourself 99%, the fact that you're able to identify the biggest messages you got from childhood and that those messages are basically the exact opposite of what you believe, that you are taught that you're unlovable because you're too emotional and too loud. And the fact that you love that about yourself says that those old messages are having less and less and less and less and less impact. And yeah, you're at the point where um, it's not really about who am I if I don't have this trauma because there are good things in your life and there are things that you like. And it just takes the beginning to open up and trust. You even said, oh, I'm way, way, way more afraid of opening up and trusting than I am of letting go of my story. And But let's just come back to that one more time, this notion of letting go of my story. Is it possible for that story to still be there, but without a all the emotional charges, but it's just part of your story? Yeah, I had, I, and, and it gets condensed to eh, rough childhood. And, you know, I had some crappy shit happen in my adulthood, but I'm building a new life. And so it's focusing on now and it's focusing on what I am becoming and so forth. But the, the part of your story is still part of your story. So let me ask you this question. And so it's, it's about condensing it. It's about reframing it. And just for the record, on the notion of opening up and trusting, it's bit by bit that I open up a little bit more about myself and I watch how this person responds. 
Do they respond favorably, caringly, interested? Okay, then I feel a little safer, so I'll open up a little bit more and let's watch how they respond. Or are they rude or are they indifferent or manipulative? Okay, then this is someone I won't open up much more because I don't feel safe. That's any relationship. And if you're not doing it incrementally in the beginning, that's where we get down the road and it's like, oh, shit turns into a shit show, okay? But back to, you know, back to this notion of opening up and trusting and and uh, back to this idea of building a life. Um, what, this is a really fucked up question. And I mean, no offense. And if you want to tell me to go fuck myself, you can, okay? I won't be offended, all right? Uh, and the question is simply this. If there was a grand blessing or benefit from this heinous past that you had, if it were some, if, and maybe it's not, if it were the greatest blessing of your life in some upside down, fucked up, weird ass way, how was all the shit that has happened in your life a fucking blessing? You know, I've actually thought a lot about that question. And that was something that one of my coworkers and I had recently been talking about is finding gratitude in all the shit. And it wasn't, you know, the past couple of years, I've been doing a lot of therapy and reading your book. And um, without all of that shit, I would not be the incredible woman I am today. And in what way above all else are you an incredible woman? Help me see it in the granular. What the fuck are we really talking about? As in, how would I just like describe myself? What's so incredible about you? In what, or not just that, that that's too easy. In what way, how did, what did that pass, that specific heinous, ugly past, what did that create? An incredible woman, but incredible doesn't say much. It's like when I used to wait tables. You know, when I'd train new waiters, I'd say, don't say, oh, it's delicious. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's, uh, you know, wonderful. Because that doesn't tell me anything. Oh, it has hints of lime and a little bit of oregano. That tells me something. Okay, so incredible, which is good. I'm all for it. I love that you, you, you see yourself as an incredible woman, but I want to know what. What really are we talking about that that past, what did that past create that is so incredible? Um, it created strength and resilience, and it created um, a space where I can empathize with people and I can be there to support them because I've been through similar situations and I've just really come to believe that I am kind and funny and intelligent and <laughs> what what are you laughing about just because hearing all these things said out loud I had such a hard time when I just even a few years ago saying these things about myself and being able to almost like I'm so close to coming full, full circle and I can feel it I just just that little last bit. Well, and what's but funny, I can, I can feel myself. What you can feel yourself finish the sentence. Go ahead. I, I can feel myself like reaching that point uh, of yeah, you're shieldness. There. Yeah, you're there. Yeah. And what's funny is you said, you started laughing. I said, what's funny? You said to hear those things, you know, the kind, funny, intelligent. And I'm thinking to myself, you didn't hear them as if you weren't passive player. You were actually saying them. You were only hearing them because you were saying them. And so that tells me that hearing yourself say 
Hearing yourself acknowledge your truth has power. You did that. I didn't, I wasn't talking. It was the one minute in this whole hour that I wasn't talking and you saying it about yourself had this, it felt good, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, and it, you wouldn't be this strong, resilient, empathetic, kind, funny, intelligent woman that you are. And so this is one of those strange ways where pain can be a profound blessing once it's purged, once it's gotten out and that it can be learned from. And the fact that you were already discussing this with a coworker says that this is one of the final stages of healing, that I can't ask that question of people who have just lost their spouse, or I can't ask it of someone who has just, you know, undergone massive pain, or we've just unlocked the pain. It's later in the process when they've purged out so much of the emotion, they can begin to look at it from all angles. And you're there, Britt, you're, you're, you're good. You're good. Keep flushing out more of the pain. There's more there. Keep looking at and focusing on those messages of unlovable and too emotional because the more attention you give them, as long as you're journaling and, you know, maybe you got to write another letter to your dad that you don't send. Maybe you got to write another letter to your mom that you don't send and get out more of that anger and shit that you were talking about in the very beginning. So there are more things you can do, but Britt, you're there. You're there. You, you, it's not that you have to be silent anymore. You just told me you're kind, you're funny, you're intelligent, you're empathetic, you're resilient, you're strong. That's so much. I mean, who the fuck doesn't want that in a friend? Who doesn't want yeah. that in a lover? And you keep reminding yourself of that and holding others to that, that you are only allowing yourself to be treated that way. Britt, I want to thank you so much for coming onto the show. You've been such a wonderful guest. Thank you so much, Sven. It's really been an honor. Now, it really has. Been. The honor is mine that you entrusted us with your story. And I know that uh, it's it's fun to see someone at the end of the journey of, of the healing or towards it. And we're always in the process of pulling more crud, new stuff out of the love cup. But you're doing great, kiddo. And I'm proud of you. And I hope you'll keep in touch with the show. And I just know you have this. I really know it. You have an amazing future ahead of you. You really do, Britt. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for coming on. And to everyone who has listened, thank you so much for tuning in to The Badass Counseling Show. Have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of The Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.